turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. You're looking at chapter 1, just two verses tonight. We'll see if we don't go 40 minutes. Just two verses tonight, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. That's found on page 1014, if you're using the Pew Bibles in front of you. Here again, the word of God given for you, God's people. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered here tonight to hear you speak. We are gathered to hear your voice, not mine. We pray, Lord, that you would speak. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the eyes of faith, the mind of Christ, the spirit of Christ, Lord, that we might not only be hearers of the word this evening, but also doers. Lord, we pray that through these radically ordinary means that you've given, preaching of your word, that through this, Lord, you would transform our hearts and minds more into the image of Christ Jesus, our Lord, that, Lord, we would, we would progress tonight in some way from one degree of glory onto the other, maybe only in a degree. But, oh, Lord, we pray that you would sanctify us, sanctify us in the truth, Your word is truth. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this uh, statement will probably come as no surprise uh, to you, but uh, we are a visually oriented people. Uh, Can I get an amen? We are sensible people, right? We like things that we can see and touch and interact with. Uh, um, I, I attribute this probably to playing with too many Legos when I was a child or, or Plato maybe, right? We, we, we like things that are, are, are sensible. We like our measurables, our quantifiable uh, data such that we're, we're always trying to place value and significance on things by, by how we can measure them, by how we can quantify them. And so much of that has to do, of course, with our senses, our uh, ability particularly to, to see I tend to find, both really in, in education, but also more broadly, that we really struggle sometimes with the abstract, right? We, we, we struggle with the, the, uh, the, the metaphysical, the mental, the up here, right? We uh, prefer, uh, I think especially maybe as, as Westerners, we prefer something more concrete, <laughs> something we can get our hands on or in. We're production Minded, right? We are producers. We want and desire and are oriented towards measurable results. There were some studies that were done uh, back in uh, between, I think, 2000, 2001, that, that measured uh, our uh, uh, attention spans, our ability to remain concentrated on a particular uh, task. And the, the results of this study were, 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 um, were not great. Uh, they came back and, 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 and said, we, we really weren't, we didn't begin at a good starting place. They said around 2000, around the year 2000, our attention spans were somewhere around 12 seconds, 12 seconds. 
<laughs> Not a great place to start. But then from 2000 to 2015, they measured that we actually decreased in our attention span from 12 seconds to 8.25 seconds. <laughs> um, you might remember the headlines when this story came out, right? Times, uh, Time Magazine, New York Times, uh, human attention span now shorter uh, than a goldfish. Well, uh, I can say at least that 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 research has been somewhat disproven. Uh, It's it's not that our capability to pay attention has somehow been limited or has somehow decreased. And in fact, it's not a a, a problem with our capability at all. It's actually a a discipline problem. Imagine that. Uh, The reality is it's not that we don't have the capability to pay attention uh, and to to stay connected. Uh, The reality is we just don't have the discipline. We are selective. We're selective in our uh, attention, the attention that we give. Even now, you're, you're, you're selectively giving attention uh, to this uh, sermon. The limit is us. The limit is us, right? And, of course, this is what makes particularly preaching, the preaching of the Word of God, something that's actually uh, quite, quite difficult in, in our society because we are so visually oriented, right, to sit for 40 minutes or more and to listen uh, is quite actually a difficult thing for, for us in, in, in our attention spans currently. You might um, resonate with, you might have heard my uh, beloved grandfather-in-law's um, old adage, uh, the mind cannot absorb more than the butt can endure, he says. Well, those statistics uh, and that statement might, uh, might be true that might not. But I think all of us can uh, agree to some extent that we struggle with the unseen, right? We, we struggle with the unseen. We struggle with what, what, what is not visible, what's not in front of us, what we can't control, what we can't manage, what we can't get our hands on. And yet, Scripture, I find, convictingly, consistently calls us and exhorts us not only to think on the unseen, to set our minds on the unseen, not only to pursue or actively seek after the unseen, but it also calls us to believe in the unseen. Faith, says the author of Hebrews, is the conviction of what? Things unseen. Colossians 3 says, seek, pursue. It's an imperative. Seek the things that are above. Another imperative, set your minds on things above, not on things which are on the earth. Scripture consistently, repeatedly emphasizes to us that we are to set our minds and hearts on that which we cannot see and and visibly perhaps perceive. And so we're we're reminded here in our text with Peter uh, that our faith is one in which we're called to live out uh, not by sight. We're called not to walk by sight, but by faith. And why is this? Well, because the center of and substance of our faith, Peter says, Christ Jesus himself, right? Christ Jesus to us is unseen. Has anyone among us here seen the face of Christ, touched his robe, sat down on the mount and listened to his sermons? None of us can say that. No, we, he, he, he remains Unseen, Peter says, we have not seen him and we do not now see him. However much we may long to see him, and we do, 
I know you do. I do. We, however much we may long to see Christ, to maybe even touch him, right? To, to be sensibly in his presence. However much we may want that now is not the time for us to sensibly experience our Savior in that way. Instead, Peter demonstrating here, we, we, we are to believe in Christ by faith. And let's just go ahead and admit together, okay, sometimes that's hard. <laughs> sometimes that's just hard. I, how, how many of you have, have just wished at, at certain times uh, that you could have been around during Jesus' ministry, right? How, how many of you have, have, have wished that you simply could have caught a glimpse of his, his, his face? I remember being so intrigued when I was a child watching Ben-Hur and the depictions of Jesus there. And of course, in, in that wonderful movie, and I love the way they do this, uh, when Jesus is shown, his face is rather veiled. The, the way they did the filming, they kind of block out his face. But I remember even as a child yearning to, to see his, his face and to see his features just to kept, catch a glimpse of him. How, how many of us have not read that account of the woman who grabbed hold of the, 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 the tails of his robe and, and wished to do the same? This is a good desire. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm really just stating the obvious. We want to sensibly experience Christ. We do. I hope you do. I certainly do. In some ways, our desire is not unlike that of Thomas, right? You remember Thomas? Of course, you know where I'm going with this. But, but Thomas, searching for, we'll say, additional assurance of his faith, asked to, to touch, to see, to sensibly experience, to put his hands into the nail marks on the wounded side of Christ his Savior. But do you remember what Jesus says to Thomas in that moment? Let's, let's turn there for a moment, in fact. Look, take your Bibles, you keep your finger in, in 1 Peter, but would you turn with me to John chapter 20 for a moment? That's on page 907, if you're using the Pew Bible. John chapter 20. Let me just begin reading here at, at verse 26. I'll start at 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, unless this happens, I, I, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. But here's what Jesus says to him. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, Jesus here pronounces a blessing on those who have not seen and will not see Jesus and yet 
believe. And, and I'm not sure we believe that. What, what, what do I mean? I'm not sure that we believe Jesus' blessing upon those who would not see and yet believe. But it's a pronouncement of, of blessing that Jesus gives here. I, I think in our minds, probably when I read that, and when I even think of Peter here saying, speaking of the reality that we have not seen Christ, and even the believers that he was with had not seen Christ, yeah, I'm thinking, okay, well, that's easy for you to say, Peter, you were with Jesus, right? I'm sure, I'm not alone in thinking, no, no, it would have been far better to, to be with Jesus, to sit under his teachings, to witness his miracles, and that may be true. Perhaps in one sense, it would, it would have been better. I think better needs defining there. But re- remember this, too, that Thomas had seen Jesus. He had seen his ministry, witnessed his ministry, witnessed his teachings, seen, visibly seen the miracles performed by Jesus. And yet he still struggled to believe. Is it really a matter of sight is, is what I'm getting at. Is it really a matter of sight? Now, let, let me be clear here. It's always important as a preacher to say, here's what I'm not saying. <laughs> Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is, is that what Jesus here is promoting and what Peter is promoting is some sort of blind faith. Uh, the, uh, uh, Richard Dawkins is, is uh, a famous atheist, infamous atheist maybe. <laughs> he once criticized this passage uh, in this way. He, he writes... The story of doubting Thomas is told not so that we shall admire Thomas, but so that we can admire the other apostles in comparison with Thomas. Thomas demanded evidence. The other apostles whose faith was so strong that they did not need evidence are held out to us as worthy of imitation. What's Dawkins there getting at? He's He's saying that uh, the, the, the text is, is, is kind of shaming Thomas for asking for evidence and that the other disciples uh, are actually to be credited and admired because they believed without seeing. Truthfully, I think that's just a misreading of the text because uh, had, 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 he, had Dawkins, I think, read the text a little clearer, and I don't mean that to critique him uh, out of pride in any sense, but I think that had he, in one sense, had the eyes of faith as he was reading this text, I think he would have seen that it's, it's not simply that Thomas wanted evidence, it's rather that he wanted greater evidence of what he had been given. Did you notice that it says here in the beginning that Thomas was not with the other disciples when Jesus appeared the first time, but the other disciples go and they tell Thomas what they've seen. So Thomas is getting evidence. He's getting a firsthand account of what happened, and yet he says, I refuse to believe unless I can see it with my own eyes. So what's happening? Well, Thomas is discontent with the evidence that he has. He's discontent with the revelation that he's been given. He wants more. He wants greater evidence. And sometimes I think this is true of us. We want to see more than what we've been given. We want something Measurable. We want something quantifiable. We want something sensible, something visible. Yet in many cases, this would eliminate the need for trust. And it also neglects the great and wonderful evidence that we do have given to us. Did you notice, I didn't keep reading, but did you notice that the next thing that John says immediately following this account is this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. 
So what is, what is John pointing to here for those who, unlike Thomas, will not get the opportunity to see Jesus and to put our hands in the nail marks? What is John saying? He's saying, here's your evidence. Here's what's been given. Here's what's been written down. A firsthand eyewitness account of the things that took place that you may know. John says that repeatedly throughout his gospel, that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by knowing, believe, and by believing, receive life in his name. And so the connection here, and and my exhortation to you is is this, not one of blind faith, not not one where we're we're simply saying, well, I, I can't see any evidence as to why I should believe this, why I should follow Christ, but rather that by looking to the unseen, which we are, which we are presented with in Scripture, uh, we then are given the opportunity to trust in the Christ that is presented to us, not perhaps a bodily Christ that we can grab onto, but a visible Christ given to us sensibly in the Word of God. This is what Peter was doing when he stood before the congregation here. He was He was proclaiming an eyewitness account, the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who had never seen Christ and yet could see him through the word. Yes, to the author of Hebrews point, our faith is the assurance of things hoped for. But let me ask you, where do we find those things in which we place our hope? The word of God. Yes, faith is the conviction of things unseen, but where do we learn of these things unseen? The word of God. And so, although we may feel at times that, that we are somehow lacking because we weren't alive during the time of Jesus' ministry, if we may feel that somehow uh, we've not been given enough, we need to be reminded that God has given us sufficient revelation in his word. We need to consider it not only a a, a great privilege, but a great gift that he has given us his word. And we need to understand that in that word, we are reminded that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And in doing so, then we behold Christ as he's presented in the word as God intended. Now, I'm not going to open up Pandora's box here, but I do think that this whole tendency in us, right, to to desire more, to desire more visible evidence uh, is what results in, um, you know, these shows such as The Chosen. Okay, I'm not we're not going to get into that, but it's an earnest desire. Let's just go ahead and say that it's an earnest desire of people to to, I think, see and, and, and to grasp a visible representation of Christ. And, and, and I, that's a good desire. I think it's pointed or oriented in the wrong direction, but it's a good desire. Instead, I think it's far better to utilize, to love, to dig into, to dive into the means that God has given us for beholding Christ. And what are those means? Word and supper. And God knows we're sensible people. This is not a bad thing. He knows that we're sensible people, but he has given us specific means through which we can use those senses to behold him in his word, but to also behold him in the sacraments that we'll participate in tonight. These are given because God knows and understands that we're sensible people. And these are given to strengthen our faith. 
And so I call you, firstly, to look to the unseen. Let me just ask you here a series of questions that you can answer in your heart. But can you trust in Christ without the measurables, without the quantifiable, without the data, without the visible? Can you trust him even when you can't see the next step in front of you? Can you trust him in the moment when faithful living feels like fruitless living? You look around and you don't, you don't see, you don't see the evidence. You don't see the fruit that you've labored so hard for. Can you trust him then? Can you trust in the unseen then? Can you trust in the promises given then? Can you love and cherish Christ though your physical eyes do not yet see him? Peter tells us where this kind of faith leads. Notice he says, inexpressible joy. That though we do not see him, we believe in him. And this belief and this faith, it leads us to inexpressible joy. The translation is is, uh, uh, unspeakable joy. The, The word, the Greek word is literally not able to tell kind of joy. In other words, it's so comprehensive it's so full it's so abounding that there's not even a proper way to express it but i but i love that because again if we're thinking in the unseen if we're not thinking about you know the visible and the visual so often right we think of joy in terms of visible expressions right but here the joy that's presented to us is a joy that's that's so full and so comprehensive that it's literally unspeakable it's inexpressible it's a joy of being I think this is what it means to be uh, in our inner being filled up with the joy of Christ. Peter says, uh, that's where this faith leads. Trusting, entrusting ourselves to the Lord, trusting in the unseen that this leads to an inexpressible joy. So we're not lacking, rather we're so full we can't even fully express it. And though the pathway getting there may be beyond our vision. Peter says, hey, believer, here's where it leads. It leads to glory. It leads to glory. Notice he says here, right? Uh, uh, Ed, Edmund Clowney in his commentary says that the, the language here is that of marching forward. <laughs> and, it, and it moves from this present reality where we don't see Christ to this future reality where we will see Christ and obtain the full measure of our faith, the outcome of our faith, he says, the salvation of our souls. And it's then that our present joy will will, will be complete. It will be even more overflowing than it is now. He says we do have present joy, but our joy, when we get to be in the presence of our God and sensibly be in the presence of Christ, oh, that will be wonderful, won't it? He says when we get to that day, our joy will be Full, it will be complete. And, and, and listen, I know right now it's, it, it, it seems like a dark chasm between now and then. But Peter wants you to know that's where we're headed. And he wants, he wants to ask the, the, the question, can you trust Christ in the midst of the valley and in the darkness that leads to glory? Can you trust in the unseen until we get to the seen? I know that many of you, when you read that word, perhaps inexpressible joy, 
uh, you're probably thinking, I have no idea what that's like. Perhaps for some of you, rather than inexpressible joy, what you feel in the midst of that valley is something quite opposite. You, you feel lost, despondent. Well, let me offer this final observation here in an effort to encourage you if that's where you are. You see, we, we presently, Peter says, we, we, we don't see Christ visibly. But brothers and sisters, he sees you. We, we don't see Christ present sensibly in front of us, but he sees you. We don't see the hand of our shepherd, but he's guiding us. He's keeping us. He's guarding us. He's watching over us. I know you've had seasons of life. You, you may be in a season of life right now where, where you feel invisible, unnoticed, Forgotten, unsuccessful by measurable and quantifiable standards, without direction, without vision, you feel lost and confused and lonely. I know you've had seasons like that, and you may be in one right now. I want to encourage you to not only look to the unseen, but know that you are seen, that Christ sees you. He knows you. Jesus sees you. Jesus knows you and Jesus loves you. You are not alone. You're not a failure. You might be lost. Your sin might have gotten you there, but your shepherd is going to draw you back again and bring you home. You might be hurting with deep wounds that nobody here can see. But Christ knows you and he sees you. You might be struggling with sins that you're desperate. Nobody in this room find out about. But Jesus sees you. Jesus knows you and Jesus loves you. If nothing else, if nothing else tonight, if nothing else has made sense, and if you're struggling to rejoice with that joy that's inexpressible, then just at least rejoice in this. Jesus may be unseen by your eyes, but Jesus sees you. Be filled with the joy of knowing that your Savior knows you. Now we see in a mirror dimly lit, Paul says. But soon we will see fully. Now we know in part, but soon we will know fully, even as what? We are fully known. Let me end with these words. From one of my favorite hymns. I have lots of favorites. Haste thee on from grace to glory. Armed by faith. Winged by prayer. Heaven's eternal and glorious days are before thee. God's own hand shall guide us there. Soon shall close thy earthly mission. Swift shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall change to glad fruition, glad fulfillment, faith to sight, prayer to praise and joy inexpressible. Let's pray. Lord, we admit that we struggle to trust you. 
we struggle to trust you in moments, Lord, where we can't see the path in front of us, where the things that we think we should be seeing, we're not seeing. When we're struggling, Lord, with sin and we're even cowering from you and from others in shame, we struggle, Lord, with the unseen. But I pray that, Lord, this evening, you would give us the eyes of faith, that by hearing, by hearing your word and the promises given to us here, we would know that you see us, that you know us, and that you love us. And I pray, Lord, that that would motivate us, stir us on, spur us on, to continue to pour out our lives as drink offerings before you in faithfulness, whether or not we see the fruit that we long for. Help us to trust and believe that the vineyards we plant will bear fruit because you are with us and because your purposes will succeed. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. Oh, for grace to trust thee more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.